familiar with the literary character Ebenezer Scrooge, right? It's not Christmas time, but there's something in this character that I want us to see. We know of Ebenezer Scrooge as that guy who hated Christmas, right? He was a miser and he was greedy and he was a penny pincher. Um, But there was an underlying current that uh, you can kind of see in the story. Ebenezer Scrooge was also someone who was lonely. You can see it whenever he was a child in that scene when the ghost takes him to his childhood. And he's sitting there alone in the schoolhouse wondering, is anybody going to come and pick me up for Christmas break? All the other kids were gone and he was just sitting there alone. You can see the loneliness that's there. And then... Later on, you know, he he seems to have some more joy as he's dancing around at Fezziwigs, right? But then as he advances in his career and he begins to put his focus more on money, he has a woman that he wants to marry. And she breaks off their engagement because she can see that, that he loves money more than he loves her. And so he's again cut off and he's lonely. And then in his, in his life during the, the setting of the Christmas that, that takes place, you've got uh, his nephew, who's his only family, and, and, and is trying to reach out to him to, to, to foster some relationship there so that Scrooge just isn't alone. And he cuts it off. He cuts himself off and isolates himself and says, Bah humbug! <laughs> right? We see they're a lonely person. You know, we are not meant to live our lives alone. We are created to be a part of a community. Created to to be a part of a family. Um, You can see this from the very beginning in Genesis. When God created man and woman, when he created woman, he looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. There's lots of jokes have been made about that. (laughs) You leave a man alone, you never know what kind of trouble he's going to be in, right? (laughs) No, it's not good for man to be alone. And so he created for him a helpmate. We were created for community. We were created... To live with one another and not to isolate ourselves. Well, I'll be preaching this morning from Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going to begin in verse 7. I should have let you know beforehand to give you time. but Oh, well. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. And um, the preacher here, uh, that's, that's what... The author here of Ecclesiastes refers to himself as. He calls himself the preacher. Um, He is reflecting on life. He's reflecting on all of these different aspects about life. Finding out what is the meaning of life. And as you see throughout Ecclesiastes, the preacher keeps saying, Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. It's all vanity and striving after wind. There's, there's, uh, There's no meaning, it seems. Under the sun. And you see that phrase a lot as well in Ecclesiastes. It's it's all vanity and striving after wind under the sun. Because under the sun is life without God. 
Under the sun is considering things from a secular perspective, apart from figuring God into the equation. It's all vanity. There's no meaning in life apart from God making their meaning. And here he considers the case of that that goes along with what we've just been talking about. I'll read beginning in verse 7. Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, who will withstand him? Two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. I saw all the living who move under the sun, along with that youth who was was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all the people whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after wind. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us. Lord, that we are not left to feel around in the darkness to try to to find you. Lord, you have revealed yourself in your word. Lord, we pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And Lord, I pray that you would give me grace as I preach your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage is, uh, it's kind of structured like a sandwich. We've got two stories of isolation that are the bread in the sandwich. And in the middle, it gets to the point, the real meat of it. The bread is these stories of isolation, but in the, the meat that we're going to be getting out of this is two are better than one, right? Two are better than one. We, we are made for community. Well, let's look at the bread first. Um, he says, again, I saw under the sun, a vanity under the sun, one person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all of his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches. Here he describes a person kind of like that Ebenezer Scrooge character. He works and he works for all of his labor, but he's alone. He's one person who has no other, the text describes it. He doesn't have a son, he doesn't have a brother, he doesn't have any family at all. And yet he works and he works and he works with no one to share it with. 
He's lonely. The preacher looks at this and says, it's vanity. It's vanity to spend your life in the pursuit of wealth, to spend your life in the pursuit of everything you can grab for yourself and yet live your life alone. It's vanity. It's striving after wind and striving after wind. It's like it's trying to grasp the wind, but you'll never be able to grab it. You're just hands to slip right through it. The preacher says, that's what living alone in isolation and just trying to advance yourself apart from anybody else is like. It's vanity. He says, there's no end to all of his toil. He never stops. Day in and day out. Maybe not taking a Sabbath to rest. He doesn't have a family to spend time with. So he devotes all of his time to work, uh, to worth, to work and accumulating and accumulating. And yet, like Jesus told the story of the, 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 the man who tore down his barns to build bigger barns because his crop was so big. And Jesus said, you fool, don't you know that tonight your very life is demanded of you? And then who will get what you work for? It goes on. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. He's discontent. He's always wanting more. And he never asks the question. He, it just never dawns on him. For whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? We were made for community. We were made to to live in a a family, to share things with one another. And here he is. He's so focused on his work. He's so focused on accumulating things for himself that it never even dawns on him that he's alone. It never even dawns on him that I don't have anybody to share this with. This is vanity. The preacher says, this also is vanity and an unhappy business. We'll skip down to the, to the bottom bread in the sandwich. Verse 13, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. At first, this seems like a, a contrast of foolishness and wisdom. But notice what it says about this old and foolish king. He no longer knew how to take advice. Like the first case, this king isolated himself. He, he wouldn't take advice from anyone. He was good enough on his own. And he wouldn't listen to the counsel of others. Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. Ecclesiastes is uh, traditionally thought to be written by Solomon, although it never really names himself. He, 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 it just calls himself the preacher. And uh, even, uh, even conservative scholars um, say uh, we don't necessarily know who, um, who wrote Ecclesiastes, and, it, and uh, many think it came later. I, I don't know. I, I'm just going to say I'm agnostic about who wrote um, 
Ecclesiastes. But here's why that matters. Um, Thinking about an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. If it did come later than Solomon, then that kind of sounds like Solomon's son, Rehoboam. Think of the story. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you're not. But um, after Solomon, Rehoboam came. He was the next son of David to sit in line. And he ruled over a united kingdom. Both Israel and Judah were together. And when, when Rehoboam took over the kingdom, he was foolish. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. And yet Rehoboam was foolish. And the, his foolishness is illustrated by the fact that he, he didn't listen to the advice of the elders. The elders told him, you know, your father's been really taxing people. You should really take it easy on on the people. Lower their taxes. But the young people who who Rehoboam wanted to listen to, they they told him, oh, no, your your dad was hard on him. You'd be all the harder on him. Rehoboam didn't listen to the advice of the elders. He was foolish. And he split the kingdom in two. Where it was Israel in the north and Judah, the king, the son of David, only ruled over two tribes, Benjamin and and Judah. I don't know if that's what the author of Ecclesiastes had in mind. I don't know. But it kind of sounds like that kind of a case. He isolated himself. He wouldn't listen to the advice of those who he should have listened to. And there was a, a, a great damage that came. Better was the, a, a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he went from prison to the throne, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. Now that sounds like somebody in the Bible too. From prison to the throne. It may sound familiar to you. He wasn't just born poor, but he actually was prison and he went to the throne. And it makes me think of Joseph. Joseph, you know, who was one of the of the 12 patriarchs of Israel. He was sold into slavery by his brothers, thrown into a pit, sold to the Midianites, taken into Egypt. And he rose in the ranks until Potiphar's wife tried to tempt him and he ran and fled but at the same time she accused him and he ended up in prison we know the story of him interpreting dreams and of him coming back out of prison and rising to the second only to Pharaoh it fits this went from prison to the throne though in his own kingdom he was born poor You might can contrast these two characters. Someone who who was born poor, a a young, poor, wise man. And an old and foolish king, maybe like Rehoboam, I don't know, who wouldn't listen to advice. One, his wisdom saved a nation. It saved multiple nations. And the other divided a nation, tore it in two. 
And Solomon says, I saw all the living who move under the sun, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place. There was no end of all whom he led. Yet those who came later will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and striving after wind. We see more of the case of this old and foolish king. It says there was more people than you can see. I mean, they're, they're all the living he was in charge of. There was no end to all the people that he was leading. And yet, when he came to the end of his life, and he's gone, no one will remember him. In his own lifetime, oh yeah, he ruled over a lot. But he's forgotten. Just a comma in history. The preacher thinks on this and says, surely this is vanity and striving after wind. Both of these cases are people who were striving alone. They isolated themselves. They cut themselves off from anyone else. The latter case wouldn't listen to any advice. The, for, the earlier case, uh, he was just trying to get things for himself and he didn't share it with anybody. They're isolated. They're alone. The preacher says this is vanity, striving after wind. There's no meaning in that kind of a life. Now let's look at the point that he's driving at. Verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. He says two are better than one. In contrast to this isolated person who is just trying to get things for himself. He has nothing to share with. There's no one to share anything with. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. It's not vanity. Instead of being vanity, they have a good reward. It's good to have something to share with others. He says, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him, one, him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. We can think here of traveling along the road in the ancient world. and Maybe there was a pit along the way. And as he's walking along the road alone, falls into a pit, there's no one there to bring him out. And he may be there for days with nobody walking by to pull him out of that pit. It's dangerous. He might die. But if he has someone that's a companion that walks along the road with him, they can reach down and pull him out. And it's not as dangerous. It reminds me of the, of the words that were read by Sonny earlier. If anyone is take, overtaken by any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. We have the same kind of concept. We need one another. 
Someone falls into sin and they're all by themselves. Who's going to tell them? They'll just go off on their own with no one to bring them back. But we are called to go after that one, to imitate the shepherd, the good shepherd, who goes after the one and leaves the 99. Jesus gave us instructions for what to do when someone falls into sin. Not just to leave them alone, let them go their own way, but go after them. That's the loving thing to do. Some people think, well, it's, it's judging to, 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 tell, to confront someone about their sin. It's the loving thing to do. It's imitating the shepherd. It's going after the one. The next image that Ecclesiastes gives us. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? We can think again of this traveling along the road. Uh, The cold nights as they were traveling, they didn't carry sleeping bags along with them. If you're traveling alone on those cold nights, all you had to keep you warm was that that was your cloak. And on those cold nights, someone may, may freeze to death. But if there's another person, a companion, you can use your body heat and huddle close together to keep warm and keep safe. We often think of this text maybe thinking of of marriage, of of, uh, two keeping warm that way. But really, I think this is more along the lines of the safety of being being able to be warm. It doesn't have to have have anything to do with uh, a married couple warming themselves together. but, But just in the ancient world... That was one way you had to keep warm. And then finally, and though a man might prevail against one who was alone, two will withstand him. You think here of this, the story of the, um, uh, of the uh, Good Samaritan. There was a man on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. He was traveling and he was accosted by bandits. They robbed him and left him for dead. He was traveling alone. We know the rest of that story that Jesus told, but it's kind of like the situation we have here. If he's alone, then he can be overtaken by others. But if there's two, two will withstand him. There's a a safety there. Not meant to be alone, but meant to be a part of a community. And let's not think that there's something magical about two. <laughs> we, we, we can focus here on two are better than one. And all these examples that he's given here that say two, that, uh, just one companion. And we can often think about that in terms of, of, of marriage. You need a marriage partner, Right. But here, he kind of blows that out of the water and says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. There's nothing magical about just two. Three is even better than that. There's safety in numbers. 
That's just a common sense principle. But here the, the preacher is telling us this. We're not meant to be alone. We're meant to be in a community. There's safety there. there and, and when we fall away, there's someone there to, to bring us back. These same principles carry forward into the New Testament, into the church. And we see them brought out in the passage that Sonny read. You who are spiritual, we've already talked about that one. Restore such one. Reach down into the pit and grab them out. Bear one, another, one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're not meant to, to carry all the pressures of life on our own. We need a community. We need a community for that. And what does he say at the end of the passage? Do not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. And especially, I can't remember exactly, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There's a a special uniqueness. There's a brotherhood, a a, a family that we're a part of. And and that fits the, the... the concept of, that, that when Jesus came into the world, he, he was making for himself a people who are brothers and sisters. One of the things that happens to us when we're saved, one of the things that happens to us when we are converted, when we, when we believe on Jesus, is that we are adopted into a family. We're no longer children of wrath. We've been made sons and daughters of God. We're brothers and sisters. And 1 Peter talks about how we, when we're saved, when we're born again, we're born not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. So that means that the perishable seed that 1 Peter is talking about is we're born, in, when we're born into, the, into Christianity, when we're born, when we're, we're born again, we're not born of blood. It's, it's not our, our perishable seed is the family that we came from. But the imperishable seed is when we're born from above, when we're born again, when we're born by the Word of God. That is the imperishable seed. The family that we're brought into, the church, is a, a more powerful seed than blood. The relationship that we have together as brothers and sisters in Christ is more important and stronger bond than even between our, our parents and children and brothers and sisters by the flesh. We need each other. It's tempting sometimes, especially in our individualistic society today, to just go off and be alone. You get offended in church? I don't need them. I'll listen to a podcast. I'll watch TV on, I'll watch the sermon on TV. Those people hurt me. We're not meant to live in isolation. We're not meant to live alone. 
We need to live in a community. You can't obey the, 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 the commands in the passage of the Son he read without being a part of a church. You can't bear one another's burdens. You can't be there to reach down and pull someone back up out of the pit if you're not engaged as a part of the church. We need each other. I can imagine also, I don't know, you know, what everybody's personal situation is right now, but um, hearing this message on how two are better than one, I can imagine that there might be someone here who's single and you hear that and it might just grate on you. What about me? I'm single. Where's my companion? Or maybe someone who's a widow. Someone who lived 40, 50, 60, even 70 years with their spouse and they passed away. And now you're alone and you're wondering, what about me? That's why we're here as a family, as a church. You're not left out in this. Jesus told, he promised those who followed him, those who lost father or mother or sister or houses or lands for his sake and for the kingdom. Will they not gain that much more in the kingdom? Brother and sister and father and mother, we are a family. We are here to bear one another's burdens, to love one another, to serve one another. And we carry out... What did Jesus say we would be known by? Our love for one another. You can't do that as a Lone Ranger Christian living out on your own. If Jesus said, they'll know your Christians by your love for one another, but you never have any contact with the church, you're just living off in isolation... How will people know that you're a Christian? We need one another. We need one another. We're made for community. Maybe you're here today and you're not a believer. Maybe you're here today because someone invited you to come and you really haven't trusted in Christ. Or maybe you're a kid or somebody who's been forced to bring, come by your parents or something. Maybe you're sitting here and something is attractive about that. that what we've been talking about here. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing when it comes to our evangelism. People will know we're Christians by our love for one another. If you're sitting here and you're not a believer today, this is one of the things that's attractive about Christianity. We are a community. This is not just a set of beliefs that you live out a certain set of principles apart from other people. But he brings us into a family. That's a part of the theology itself. He he has adopted us into a family. Maybe if you've not trusted in Christ, but this seems beautiful to you. This seems appealing to you. I'm not saying come and join the church so you can be a part of a family. I'm saying maybe this should be what causes you to consider Christ's claims. Think about 
Did Jesus really raise from the dead? Look into it. Look into the, the fact, the, the, the reality that Jesus rose from the dead. He, he died for your sins. He rose from the dead. He's God and man in one. He was your substitute for your sin. You can have forgiveness of all of your sins. Just look to Christ. Look to Him. And on top of having forgiveness, you also get to be born into a family where you have brothers and sisters caring for one another's needs. It's a beautiful thing. Two are better than one. Threefold cord is not quickly broken.